I just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, it's Life Today. I'm Randy Robinson. I'm I'm looking been looking forward to this conversation because uh, it, it's always good when I talk to Ken Harrison. Ken, Ken is the uh, CEO of Promise Keepers as well as an organization called Waterstone. Uh, and Ken, Ken's not your typical raised in the church pew kind of Christian. He's and I, I love I love his honesty. I love his zeal. Uh, and he's he's a smart guy. And and I love it when we disagree on things because it re- it's the iron sharpening iron. So. Ken's one of one of my favorite guys, and so I'm, I'm thrilled to have him here. We have a bit of an occasion, uh, and that is the new book, which I have read all of, which is rare because I can't read every book from everybody that's on the program. But this book, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World, is really one that will it will challenge you. I I, I, I think of this book a little bit in the way we, we think of the book of James, which I've been studying. Through, my pastor's been doing a series on a church because this is a book that says says, look, this is a book to Christians primarily that says, look, you, you're saved. Now what are you going to do with it? Because we need to go next steps. I mean, we, we, we're here for, anyway, we'll get into this. And there's some, some, some things in this book that when I read it, I was like, I don't know about that. But Ken's presenting it in such a way that I'm like, well, I mean, hard to argue with this and it'll challenge you as well so this will be a fun one if you haven't hit subscribe follow share hit those now like it's a good one uh and if you are watching this live be a part of the conversation because you'll you'll this will raise some questions uh and and i think you'll enjoy it as much as i'm about to ken great to have you back on life today live appreciate you being here today man well it's not we're not skiing in the mountains but yeah this is the second best yeah, what were you were you hiking yesterday or something the last few days? Because I know you've been up in the mountains. Yeah, like in a, I live here in Colorado, as you know, and I can't I can't be in the mountains enough. I'm here and in you know flat. Why, you know why I'm different, honestly, is I was raised in a church pew. Oh, well, I thought but you I was were. raised in a really legalistic church, and um, I really did love Jesus, and I I used to read scripture all the time from the time I was 12 years old, and I just had had it with all the people and their dang rules uh-huh. and. No one could ever justify why this site, so you know, I was going to one of those places where you can't play cards. You can't listen to rock and roll music. You can't watch movies. I mean, if it was fun, it was a sin. And I just got tired of it. And then I would go home from my Christian school and get the tar beat out of me by bullies because, you know, it was the early seventies, man. I had a crew cut. Everybody else had long hair. I just was screaming, please beat me up. You know? So, you know, I just, I just grew up with a different attitude. I love scripture. I love Christ. Christians. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for correcting me on that one. I, I, I don't know where I got the, the misconception that you had. And maybe it was your years as an L.A. police officer. Um, well, OK. I, I, that's an interesting. Well, you said thing. it right. I'm not your typical raising the church type of guy. No, no. Yeah. So here's 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 a question. And I don't know. I don't know that I know the answer. Did you? Did you run from God? Did you rebel against God or just the overly legalistic church? Um, mostly just the overly legalistic church. I had some struggles there between about 19 and 21 or 22. I mean, I didn't do anything crazy, but I just so had it, man. I, um, 
I mean, I'd been kicked out of a church, out of Christian school, and for doing nothing, man. I mean, literally just for loving Jesus and, and having the gall to actually question people. <laughs> you know, well, the Bible says this. What do you think about that? And they would be like, you know, leave. <laughs> and then uh, when I got out of the Marine Corps and uh, I was 19, I was a, a leader in a youth group of a church I really respected. I won't say the name, but um, <clears throat> one day <clears throat> the youth group leader just calls me in and tells me, you can't, you can't be a youth group leader here anymore. I'm like, why? Well, you know why? No, I, I don't know why. What are, you, what are you talking about? I mean, I was, love Jesus, completely chased the whole deal and uh, threw me out of the youth group. Wouldn't give me an explanation, just said I knew better. Well, I found out years later it was a case of mistaken identity. No. But for me, it was like, what is wrong with these people? Like the church, these Christians, like here I'm like helping all these kids pour myself up for Christ and they just throw me out of their church and tell me I'm a bad person. And I just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And it was actually being a cop in LA um, that really was was able to help me understand that Christ and the church are two different things. And sometimes when you have people who are abandoned to Christ, it's what I'm writing about in the book, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Those people who really love Jesus, they look a lot like Jesus. But most of the church, they don't look very much like Jesus. And we get ourselves in trouble when we start following Christians and looking up to Christians, especially in our celebrity culture than instead of just keeping our eyes on jesus all right so i i'm gonna, I'm gonna push you on one thing because i i can make your case you always do man i know that's why i love these conversations <laughs> um, I, I i i can certainly point i mean lord you know that people go to people like my dad when they get in trouble when they screw up christian leaders okay so my entire life has been these well-known people you know, when I was a kid, coming to our house because they needed help or calling my dad. And, and I mean, I know I have seen behind the the church curtain, man, and I have seen mm-hmm. I have seen the ugly. So I, I, I can make that case, too. Yet at the same time, I get I get uncomfortable um, when we start picking at the church too much because I'm like, at the same time, that's that's the bride of Christ. Are are you are you talking about the believers that are just imperfect? Because you know, my dad, one of my dad's favorite sayings is, "God always uses imperfect people to you know for His perfect will." And and I believe that you and I would say we're both examples of that. But are you talking about the really the bride of Christ? Or are you talking about a religious people that kind of masquerade as the bride? Hmm. That's a great question. And I'm talking about both. So I think that's one of the issues that you probably, it challenged you in the book. Near the end of the book, I make the claim and place the argument that not all of of Christians are in the bride of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think my argument is pretty well supported and it's, it's, it's out there that um, nobody else has ever made that argument that I'm aware of. And I actually went to a bunch of major scholars, um, guys, you know, I won't, it wouldn't be cool to mention their names, but, PhDs, seminary professors, and said, hey, I don't think all Christians are on the bride of Christ. This is how I see it. Tell me why I'm wrong. And they would just stare at me dumbfounded. To a man, they all said, I, I, I've never thought about it. I don't I don't know how to refute what you just said. So, I mean, I would encourage people, if you read the, the second to last chapter, right? I, I make the case, I don't really go deeply into it, but essentially, Jesus says over and over again, blessed are you if you're invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Blessed are those people who are at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Um, in Revelation, we hear over and over again, blessed are those who are invited. Well, what, a bride is not invited to her own wedding. 
And then we look at the parables in Matthew chapter 25 of the 10 virgins, for instance, five are invited into what? The wedding feast and five are not. Well, they're in heaven in the parable, all of them. And the five who are left out are outside the gates. And the father comes to him and says, I never knew you, meaning I don't know you intimately. But then where do they try to get into? Into the wedding feast. So, so I'm making the case that the outer darkness is outside the wedding feast for those Christians who haven't been abandoned to Christ. I can see your face, dude. You're I, so ready for a debate. No, well, no. <laughs> does, does it say that, does it self-identify as heaven in the parable? Because I'm thinking back no, to the parable. No, it doesn't. It just gives us, they're, they're in judgment. They're outside waiting. It, it, it they're seems in judgment. They're, see, okay, now this goes back to, well, I'm going to derail this conversation. I don't intend to. But when, when, you look at the, you when you look at the Jewish tradition of the, the virgins and the ones who were ready, the ones who weren't ready, uh, if you look at Revelation also as fulfilled, then you, you can see that the judgment that it was talking about was on the Jews. Uh, and it would be, here's another interesting thing out of Revelation is when we think of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the way John the Baptist started, the way Jesus started the ministries, the, what Paul taught even when he stayed in Rome, this whole idea of the kingdom. Revelation says that the kingdom is people, that we are we are the it's not just a an idea it's not a future place it's a it's a people and it's made possible through christ so i could i could i i, I could see the the idea of what you're saying you're splitting the bride of christ and, and christians but i would say maybe it's just the jewish ones who did not accept christ let me uh, give you another point then okay so we have two Adams, right? We have the first Adam who sinned, and we have the second and last Adam who's Jesus Christ, who came to rescue us from the sin of the first Adam, right? Yep. Um, Jesus says that the church, the whole church, is the body of Christ. Yeah? Does a man marry his own body? No. So where did the first Adam's bride come from? A remnant of his body. I would argue with you that I would argue that scripture makes it pretty clear that as I've seen it and I put out in the book, the bride of Christ comes from a remnant of the body of the church, just like the first Adam, the bride of Christ is like Eve coming from a small remnant of the body, those who were completely dedicated to him. And when you know, when you see that now, all the words of Matthew five through seven start to become clear because as I wrote as a, the foundation of the book it is, if Jesus gave us the, the entire salvation message in John 3, 16, which he did, if you believe you're saved, then what are all the rest of his words about? <laughs> right? And that's like the debate. Like you can take the John MacArthur idea that says, well, what he's really trying to do is then all the other words are trying to tell you, if you really believe, then, then this is all true. Well, hmm. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. I don't see many one-eyed men walking around. If your arm causes you to, to, to sin, cut it off. He says in, in, in Luke, if you're not willing to say goodbye to all your possessions, you're not worthy of me. Certainly those are not signs of believing in Jesus. That's something other than that. What is it? So in a daring faith and a cowardly word, I'm talking about this is Jesus's prescription for holiness, for getting maximal rewards. He says, if you suffer with me, then you'll reign with me. If. Yeah. How many people are suffering with Jesus? <laughs> Yeah, that's, and that's a great question. And this gets to the heart of the book and the part uh, that, you know, side discussions or debates 
are just on the side because you're you're really the great point that that I love throughout this was this wake up call to not be just your nice guy sitting in a pew with with a solid membership and a good tithing record and none of the taboo mm-hmm. behaviors you know being counted against you but it's like no wait a minute we're called to be way more than that what do you what do you see that we're called to be really by by Jesus it's really interesting so if we take the the basic verses that we all know Ephesians 2 8 and 9 for by grace you're saved through faith and this not of yourselves it's a gift of God less no man should boast right so in there we're, we're being told that you had nothing to do with your salvation except for the sin that nailed Jesus to the cross as Jonathan Edwards said right and even the faith that you have to believe in him was a gift from him yeah. so you are completely saved from death to life by his good. But then the, what's the next verse? The next verse, Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, mm-hmm. which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the day you got saved, Randy, the day I got saved, what was the point of our life? Good works. What good works? The ones that God prepared at the beginning of time for you to accomplish and for me to accomplish. So we have a point to our life. And that's what I think Christians are missing is that we all have an assignment. Our entire life is an assignment. How do we know what our assignment is? Well, it says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I used to wonder like, why do I have to work out my salvation? Didn't he already do it? Yeah. What are you working out? The point of your salvation, the point of your good works. That, that's been one of those scriptures, I think, that bothers a lot of people because the idea of, of working out, you're like, because we know our salvation doesn't depend on us. But I think that gets back to what I said about the book of James. It's like, look, that's, that's, your salvation is not the end. It's just the beginning. Let me ask you this. How that's do you right. define a good work? Well, that's a great question. I mean, <laughs> dude, you're going to lay that bomb on me like this. <laughs> of um, course. <laughs> I mean, you can do a good work and do a really bad thing, right? I mean, there's a lot of, what is it? Good intentions pave the road to hell, right? Yeah. So a good work is you got to be walking in um, God's favor. I remember one time I was being in the airport and I saw this gal sitting there and she looked like she was crying and she looked like a mess. And so I, I finally walked over to her. She's about 20, 21 and uh, asked her if everything was okay. And then she looked at me and started to say all these foul things. And I realized she wasn't sad. She was high, right? She was out of her mind. <laughs> And I called my, I had to like get away from her. I called my wife and was like, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe what just happened. She goes, Ken, you got to start walking in the spirit, man. You can't just walk up and help just any old person, right? So I had good intentions to do good yeah. work, but it, it was a, it was a problem. Yeah. You got to be led by the spirit. So, you know, kind of going along with what we were just talking about, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, make your bodies a living sacrifice and what? Be transformed, not conformed to the world. And then it comes with a promise. And then by doing this, you'll know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Oh, so God's actually made us a promise. People say, I want to know God's will. How do I know God's will? You will know God's will if you make your body a living sacrifice and you're not conformed to this world, but you're rather transformed by Scripture. I know you and I are in this situation all the time. We have great debates, you and I, because we both love God's word. We both love Christ. We come together as brothers, and then I have to correct you in all the things you're wrong about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but what's the thing is we sharpen each other because we love God's word. Yeah. But how many people, Randy, have you talked to that 
you throw out something from God's word and it doesn't agree with their worldview they've decided on. So they just disregard it. Yeah. You got to be transformed by God's word. And, and I'll tell you a great example of that was when I got married. So I was walking my dog, carload full of girls in high school, stopped to ask me directions to a party. I looked in the back seat at, at a girl and went home and told my mom, I just saw the girl I'm going to marry. So five years later, huh. I had to chase Elliot for five years. But five years later, when she finally got it, we were getting married. And then my dad sits down with his giant King James Bible, <laughs> you know, opens this thing up. And of course, King James was the only inspired God, you know, God inspired it in the original language of King James. Yeah. You know, yeah. No political but, agenda behind that one. No, but he, you know, he opens up to first Peter and he's like, you know, are you going to say submit in your wedding vows? And my wife who'd been raised sort of that, that moderate Baptist didn't really know scripture very well, but sure loved Jesus. She says, of course not. You know, I mean, Ken and I are going to be equals and we're going to make decisions together and I'm not going to submit to Ken. And, and I remember my dad reading her the verse from, from first Peter, wife, submit to your husbands. And Elliot looked at my dad, looked at me. She said, well, if that's what the Bible says, then I guess I'll have to submit to my husband like that. An entire worldview changed because she saw it was in scripture. Now that is somebody who loves Jesus. Now I can tell you 32 years into marriage later, she is a woman who is completely consumed with Jesus. And I actually tell some stories about her in the book that are just hair raising for her husband about how she'll just go feed the homeless and pick up people off the side of the road and, and witness to them. She (laughs) loves Jesus, but it came from a heart of loving scripture. And so long, long answer to this whole thing of how do we know God's will? What's a good work? Yeah. It's when we are making ourselves a living sacrifice to God and being transformed by scripture and not conformed to the world, we will know God's will. He promises us that we will. Yeah. And, and I think another way of phrasing that, which tracks completely with it, is, is you know, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. So it's it's knowing God's voice and then it's obedience, which is what you're talking about, doing doing something, not just hearing it, right? Yeah, that's the thing we talk about a lot, you and I. And, you know, Hebrews chapter 11 is God's hall of faith, right? He's got this whole list of people that he goes down of, be like those people. And if when you read about it, if you really know the Bible, you realize these are the most jacked up people that God could find. Like <laughs> yeah. Rahab the prostitute, right? right? <laughs> Japheth, he comes home from battle and then kills his daughter to show God how, how happy he is. I mean, and he's like, be like Japheth. Well, what? Well, what do those people have in common? What is God saying? Why is he saying be like them? Number one, they were all repentant. Hmm. And number two, none of them ever backed down from a fight. We see this list of people with this love of life this just gusto and they make huge mistakes but they also make huge changes in the world for yeah. christ because they will not relent and you know as you and i have talked about in christianity we sort of in americanized christianity we sort of emphasize the prudent life like the most boring person in the world with no life that's the best christian right <laughs> don't smoke don't don't chew don't whatever don't grow up with girls that do it's this whole idea of this, this manby pamby little wimpy Christian that does nothing. God's like, man, live life with gusto. Follow me. You're going to screw up. And when you do, you hit your knees and you say, I'm so sorry, repent and let's get yourself up and let's go. I want, what, what does God say he wants Christians of? He can make three things. I want people who are like a soldier fighting a war. Hmm. I want people who are like a workman doing whatever they can to please their boss. And I want people who are an athlete who has done everything he or she can to win that race. What, what was what was the athlete in those days? It was the Isthmian Games. In the Isthmian Games, if you 
qualify for those games, you trained for 10 months if you qualify. And you had to get up very early, train all day, and you had a trainer with you every moment and people watching you every moment. And if ever in those 10 months, they didn't see you giving maximal effort, you were thrown out. That was the idea of an athlete that Paul's talking about when he says, be like an athlete, giving your all every moment to bring God's kingdom onto this earth. That's how he wants us to live our life. And instead, we swallow this idea that, well, if I go to church once a week, put a little money in the tithe offering, and I, and I don't really live life too, too, with too much passion, that makes me a good Christian. That's the lie from the pit of hell. That's exactly what Satan wants, is a bunch of complacent, mamby-pamby, passive-aggressive, judgmental Christians. We are not called to be that. <laughs> you got me fired up, man. <laughs> good, good. I want to hear it. Uh, and here's here's the interesting thing. Cause I, I when people hear this a lot of times, um, one you got the crowd that is just the legalist crowd that goes to, well, wait a minute. You have to make sure that you don't do this particular taboo thing, and you're like, back that up in scripture, and they probably can't. But then you also have the people that go, ah, he's kind of excusing making mistakes, and uh, I don't know, I think we may maybe kind of get out of line, and 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 they're afraid that you know we're going to make a, this big mistake, um, and and I mean you're kind of saying that we will, but it's okay, but yet, so how how do you balance? How do you balance the uh, oh, keeping the rules? There are rules in, in, in Scripture and in Christian life um, with going for with, with having a zeal, with, with having a willingness to take risk. Um, you know, let, let me back up a little bit from that to, to answer your question, because I, lo- I love your questions. They're a pain in the neck. They're really hard, but they're great. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You know, so first of all, I guess I learned a lesson as a young man that I couldn't please other Christians. So I stopped trying. Hmm. Let me just ble- let me just live my life to please Christ. I'll tell you what, people ask me all the time, why are you so devoid of fear? I mean, I get that all the time. You know, I have an incredibly happy marriage and three really godly kids. And people are like, what? what? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I don't give a rip what anybody else thinks. I give a rip what Christ thinks. Hmm. I, I, I want to abandon myself to him, fall on my face before him at night. I, I, I love to spend time in my prayer closet talking to the Lord and listening to him talk to me. I love being in scripture. I love serving him. I can't wait to the day I get to go to heaven and meet Jesus. But I really don't care what anybody else happens to think about it because I've learned, you know, Jesus said, what does it say in scripture? Jesus did not entrust himself to him to them because he knew what was in the heart of a man, right? Yeah. When we understand the, the concept of rewards, and that's what this book is really setting up throughout it, is the reason we should be daring and, and courageous and is so that we want to get all five crowns that God promised us we could get. We want to reign with Christ. And how do we get all that? Keep our eyes on him, right? We got to have an audience of one, which is Jesus. So I define in the book, cowardice is not obeying God because of fear. Mm. Courage is obeying God despite fear, mm. right? We're all going to be afraid to some extent. It's helpful for us to examine what am I afraid of and why? I have had so many people say to me, geez, Ken, you're so bold. You go out there and and you say things and it offends some Christians and everything. Like you're so bold. I'm like, well, why is that bold? Mm. And what, what difference does it make if the Mamby Pamby guy got offended by me? I don't care. I want to speak with grace and love and truth. Right. 
want Jesus to be proud of me, but yeah. what difference does it make if that person doesn't like what I have to say? I get death threats all the time because I run promise keepers. I mean, there is nothing more threatening to Jesus or to Satan's plans on the world today than strong men. Yeah. Satan's plans today depend on men being weak and if they're really coming true right now because so many men are weak, right? And so by me encouraging men to be strong, stand up, be daring, um, understand that life does matter and, and you will be judged based on what you did with your salvation and you'll be rewarded greatly if you've been great and you'll be punished if you didn't do, not because of your sins, but because of your inaction. Hmm. Again, I challenge anybody, go back and read the end of, of Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, the parables Jesus talks about. But if, so your life really does matter. So I'm encouraging men and I get death threats and you can't believe. Yeah. And uh, Elliot read one of them to me one time, some guy saying, where does this guy live? We got to go kill him. You know, he's trying, trying to get men to be strong. And, and she's like, you know, aren't you worried? And I said, baby, you know, who is this guy who's saying this? He's probably sitting in his underwear behind his screen, screaming at his mom for his meatloaf. Yeah. You know, this yeah. isn't some Navy SEAL. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Did you have a problem with meatloaf? I actually like meatloaf. My wife makes fun I love of me meatloaf. I was quoting, uh, what was the uh, Wedding Crashers. Oh, okay. I did notice in particular that the LGBTF plus group just really does not like you. Yes. I'm, I'm guessing because it goes to some of that. <laughs> I, I mean, I, well, how can anybody not like me, really? <laughs> I don't know. I Because you're what I, I thoroughly enjoy our conversations and our time together. I want to show people the book and then I want to get to something you touched on that was a big part of when I read it, I went, I don't know about that. But by the time I finished your book, I was like, ah, I, I can't argue with that. I think he's right. And I kind of got excited. And those are the rewards, but I'll show people the book, a daring faith in a cowardly world by Ken Harrison available now. And let me tell you, you don't have to agree with it all. You could, it will, you'll still enjoy it. Uh, but I think you'll find that he put some things in there that you go, I hadn't thought about that, but I can't argue with it because it's, it's right there in Scripture, and I don't, I don't think he's, he's missing the correct application of that Scripture. Now, and one of those big areas is this idea of, of, of rewards. Um, and I, you know, I kind of went, oh, you know, but you're basically, because you're kind of getting into some other ideas of, well, let me ask, let me just point blank ask you, are you saying there's different levels in heaven or just different statuses in in the afterlife or what exactly are you saying? Because it's uh it's, it's an interesting argument. Yeah. Um, I am. And Jesus, again, we'll go back to, he said, um, he says in revelation, let me first preface, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to reward people for what they've done. What does that mean? I mean, <laughs> I 70 AD, but don't, no, let's not go there. Yeah, we, I think <laughs> I think it means he has a reward for people for what they've done. And I do agree with you. I, a lot of your how the way you translate scripture, um, I do agree. I do think Jesus is giving parallel, um, like in, in Matthew 24, we brought that up. He's really talking to them about what's going to happen when Titus comes into Jerusalem. And I think the church has, and you're correct, brought all that to, to our day. And that's not true. Because people don't understand their history and don't understand that when Titus came into Jerusalem, it was one of the greatest, most awful holocausts that had ever happened. Mm -hmm. A million Jews were killed. That was like almost half of all the Jews in the whole world were slaughtered while he did that. <laughs> and so when, when God's talking about being thrown into hell, the, the translation there is the Valley of Gehenna, Gehenna. right? Mm -hmm. So... That, that's where they would burn the body. So Titus was literally, the soldiers were throwing the, the Jews off the, the wall yep. of Jerusalem into the Valley of Gehenna. 
where they were being burned. That's so when you see Jesus talking about that, that's what he was telling them. And when he says, just to further your point, I hate to have to sit here and agree with you, but he said, Jesus says, you guys want a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. What does that mean? Well, when Jonah came into Nineveh, what happened? There were 40 days from the time he started preaching to the time they repented and they were forgiven. Yep. Jesus says, you're going to have the time of Jonah. What happened when he said that? 40 years after he said that in AD 33 is when Titus came in. I mean, 80, 30 and, and, and destroyed Jerusalem. Yep. So he was making that thing. You guys have 40 years to repent mm-hmm. or this is going to happen mm-hmm. to you. Now, I also believe he, Jesus is going back and forth. And some of those talk about the times yet to come because some of those prophecies were not yet fulfilled. And that's where you and I could disagree a little bit. But that's what I'm talking about here. Jesus says, if you suffer me with your reign with me, and I believe that's in the millennial age. Yeah, well, I, I will say this. Regardless of how you apply those prophecies or interpret those particular ones, God's nature and character is the same. And right. so whether it's, you know, in this particular way or in this particular way, the idea that God rewards those who really pursue him and, and sell out 100% as opposed to the lukewarm, I mean, that there's really not a debate about whether that's a consistent idea or not. It is. Yeah, let's take that. I mean, that's so important. The The church today, and again, when we talk about the church, you, you had asked this question earlier and I half answered it. Um, Jesus talking about being on the narrow road versus the wide road that leads to destruction. Yeah. I believe he's talking to Christians in both those scenarios. The wide road that leads to destruction is destruction in this life, broken life, broken marriage. How come I don't know God's will? How come I don't have the power that Jesus promised us because you're not on the narrow road that leads to gifts and promises and rewards. But, you know, Martin Luther famously said, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. Right. Yeah, right. But there are, there are Christians who are fully in love with Jesus. And then there's these other Christians. When we understand the concept of rewards, we get to be a lot less judgmental because we can be like kids. Our understanding from the church, let's take the great vast evangelical church and all that's within it. The idea has seeped in of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace, which is grace without repentance, right? Sin without any consequences. Mm-hmm. And somehow most people have this idea that if I say the magic prayer, Jesus come into my heart, then I'm saved. I can never lose my salvation. And then no matter what I do, I just go to heaven. Yeah, I do what I want. So I always say to that, well, if that's true, that, that, that it's all this one thing, then why was Paul so stupid? I mean, why would Paul go and be shipwrecked and beaten and and hungry and starving and cold if he all he had to do was say a prayer, right? Yeah. Somehow inherently we understand that God is the just God and that what we do with our life matters so that no, the person who has lived his life for himself will not be in the same category as Paul or Mother Teresa, mm. right? Or Randy Robinson. Yeah. He's going to be he's going to be with me over here. <laughs> but because we see rewards. And if you really want to see that illustrated, all you have to do is go look at Jesus's promises to the seven churches in Revelation two and three. So Jesus is making, he's telling these churches, okay, here's my issue with you. Mm-hmm. And then here's the promises I have for you. Mm-hmm. And they differ vastly. And there's two churches that he has no corrections for. And the church that I re- believe represents the saints of today is the church of Philadelphia. I believe that today we're represented by Laodicea, and Philadelphia, latest is the lukewarm church that Jesus says, you think you're wealthy, you think you have all this stuff, you make me want to puke. 
You guys are all lukewarm. And Philadelphia is one of the two churches he has no corrections for. He's like, way to go. But you see all these promises he makes, and they vary different, and they're all based on works. And he says in some of the in one of the promises, hey, and I bring this out in the book a little bit, to the to the overcomer from your church, I'm going to give you a special stone, a white stone with a name on it. It's a special nickname, and only you and I are going to know that name. Well, a white stone was what you gave the victor in the in the Isthmian games. Mm. You got a white stone from the king with your nickname because you were such a stud. So that's what Jesus is saying to the guy who ran to, to, to victory. You get this. Does everybody get it? No, just yeah. you do. Yeah. And you're going to have a nickname and you and me are going to have a level of intimacy where I'm going to call you, Hey Bucky, you're, you know, yeah. you know, Hey fast runner or whatever nickname he has for you. And you and I are going to have this time where we kind of, it's just you and me, bro. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a, a, a wild concept. But as you demonstrate in the book, it's there over and over and over and over again. Uh, and so you can't just dismiss it. Uh, how do we get them? That's the question. Yeah, I think that's that Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, but let me, thanks for setting that up for me. I think um, the whole that's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. And I go into that on three chapters in the book, which is where Jesus takes his disciples and gets away from the crowd. So people, you have to differentiate in the scriptures, who is Jesus talking to? Yeah, sure. When he gets to the Sermon on the Mount, he's only talking to the twelve. He brings them away. He gets everybody else away. And now he says, let me tell you how to be disciples. You want to be disciples? This is the road. This isn't salvation. All you had to do was believe. Mm-hmm. You want to be disciples, and it's to them, and it's to us today who want to be disciples. And what does he start off with? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Hmm. So the first road to holiness is being poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means recognizing that I bring nothing to my salvation is completely God's grace, which most Christians really don't get. Most Christians are kind of glad God gets to have them on his team. You know, when you really get how completely depraved you are, mm-hmm. now you're ready to start being holy. And what's the next one after being blessed are the poor in spirit? Blessed are those who mourn. What comes from realizing that you suck? You, you mourn it. Mm-hmm. And you mourn that you can't save the world. And you start to begin to be on the road to holiness. And you see that I can't save everybody. I see misery and pain and I want to help everybody and I can't. And you begin to mourn. And then we get, we go down further down the road. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. And then Jesus gets us all the way to the end. The last one, blessed are you when people persecute you, when they say all kinds of evil things against you. What does he say? Rejoice. Why? Great is your reward in heaven. Yeah. You don't get that reward unless you've gone through all this and here you are and now you're hated. So good news is you're holy, you'll be rewarded. Bad news is everyone hates you and you're not going to have any friends, <laughs> right? Because the great comfortable church isn't going to like holy saints abandoned to Christ. They make them uncomfortable because they remind them what they themselves are not going to do. And Jesus says, when you get there, when people start to slander you and gossip about you, if, if it's because of holiness, not because if you're a jerk. Right. <laughs> I think it's important. You know, it's important to distinguish because we do have people right now that just seem they're just troublemakers, and they think, "Well, everybody hates yeah. me. And that's a mark of holiness." That's yeah. not what you're saying. No. no, that's. But so again, and we see that over and over again. Everywhere we look in Scripture, once your eyes are open to it, reward, 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 and it always comes with conditions. If this, then this. Hmm. If you suffer with me, then you will reign with me. Hmm. Paul adds one. In First Timothy, he says, if we persevere, then we'll reign with him. So there's suffering and persevering. 
we see Paul saying, I want to have the better resurrection. Well, there's a better resurrection. I, I go into that in the book too. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are different levels of the Paul goes right out and says it yeah. just like different levels of splendor in the heavens, different resurrections have different levels of, of splendor. Like yeah. what, what really? Yeah, right. the last time I heard a sermon on that. Right. But he says, I want to get the crown of righteousness. Not that I've yet attained it. Whoa. Paul is saying, I'm not sure I've gotten the level of righteousness yet. Hmm. He brings it up again in second Timothy. He's getting ready to be, to be beheaded. And he says to Timothy, this glorious, I've run the race to win. I fought to win, the, to win. I did it all. And now I know a crown of righteousness awaits me in heaven. Hmm. Paul's going back 20 years later. He's saying, now I know why, because he persevered to the end. He says, now I'm about to be put to death and I ran the race and I never relented. Now I know I'm going to get the kind of righteousness and not only me, but all those who love his appearing. All of us have that same promise of getting that crown of righteousness if we persevere. So I would say our lives matter greatly. And by the way, you know, I, I you know, hopefully Andy, you, you're able to see this, but I try not to give any opinions in the, in, in this book. I try to give only scripture. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to throw things out there. It's what God's word says and just things that people may not have, have thought about before. And I believe a lot of these fights we get in, the denominational debates and stuff have to do with the fact that we don't understand that God is perfectly gracious and saved us despite our sin. And he's perfectly just, he will reward those who have followed after him. Last thing on that, God says a father to us. We are unconditionally accepted by the father, just like your kids and my kids are unconditionally accepted by us. However, though they have unconditional acceptance, they don't have unconditional approval. And there are times when our kids True. are closer with us and what happens, they have greater intimacy with us and they have greater reward from us. Yep. And there are times when they're acting like little jerks mm-hmm. and they, they, then they have less intimacy with us and less rewards. And that is exactly God says, my relationship to you is like a father to a child. Yeah. How, it's exactly the same for us. We have unconditional acceptance. We will never be thrown to the family. He will always love us. He's our sins are always forgiven. However, we, like children, do not have unconditional approval. Mm-hmm. That is the thing that we rush forward to our Father and say, Lord, help me daily to come to know you. And that's why being in Scripture and knowing his truth is so important and being in prayer is so important so that we empty ourselves out, get into the Spirit, and meet with our Father and really have a communication. That is how. And in, in Matthew 5 through 7, Scripture prayer, that's how we know his will and how we know the rewards that we're running after. And then going all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, stop worrying about what Christians think because you're never going to impress them. Yeah. Worry about Jesus thinks. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy for me to dismiss the books that have a lot of opinion. uh, And that's why yours was such a challenge because it's a lot of scripture and it's some things that I hadn't thought about before. Uh, And so that's why I I would encourage people to pick it up. You can get it wherever you get books. Uh, It's called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Looks just like that. Um, and it'll, 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 I think the worst it can do is make you go to God and say, is, is that, is that really exactly how it works? Um, because I mean, he's just, Ken's just pushing you to Jesus. And, and so, uh, it's, it's really good. It's really good. And I, it, I kind of, the way I'm saying this sounds like I disagree with a lot. I don't, uh, it, but it does challenge you. And I appreciate that. I'm, I'm curious You've gotten some reaction on this. Um, what do you, what kind of feedback are you getting so far? 
Well, thanks. It's been incredibly um, positive. I haven't actually had anybody push back on it, it's, uh, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, partly it's because I had a debate with a, a best-selling author once. I, I won't say who on your show. I'll tell you afterwards. But um, uh, she had written a, a book and she was very proud of it. And then she said she wanted to talk to me about this issue. And I said, okay. And we sat down and within five minutes, she had nothing to say. Like she was utterly destroyed. And I wasn't trying to destroy her. I was just talking scripture. Yeah. And I said, you know, you know, the problem is, you know why you're so shocked and you're so reeling? It's because you clearly brought your book, which was on a controversial issue, to people who all agreed with you. And they all told you how wonderful you are. And then you published it. You thought it was all great. And now someone who disagrees with you sits down and you've never been challenged. Mm. In this book, what I did was go to men I greatly respect men and women, but mostly men, uh, and said, tell me why I'm wrong. Mm. I mean, I want to, I don't want to say anything that would be um, misleading about how my Lord says things. So, and there are some things like we're not all in the bride of Christ. Um, just, just rip this apart. And I, I got lots of guys reading this book because I have lots of close friends because of promise keepers who really are great intellectuals. And so this book wasn't written lightly and I was challenged in what we, we put down and I was challenged to make sure I'm really fully supporting it. And I was also challenged in my tone. Hey, I love what you're saying and I love how direct you are, but be gracious, man. Yeah. You know, don't rip anybody's head off. So I think that all came together to make a really good and easily readable book with a lot of truth. Um, but it is not unnecessarily controversial and it's certainly not well supported in everything that is said. Oh gosh. It's, it's, uh, it's very well supported. Uh, and it, it's not difficult to read, but I did go back and read several portions again because I went, oh, wait a minute. I hadn't thought about it. That's that. a great compliment right there to any writer. Yeah, and that's you the know? truth. That's the truth. I love, people send me pictures of the book all dog-eared and underlined. And I'm like, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a compliment. You couldn't have a better compliment than that. <laughs> that's, that that's true. The pristine books in my collection. <laughs> <laughs> right it's, mine are like andrew murray books you know 150 years old they're all just falling apart because i've read them 17 times you know that that's that's the ultimate compliment yeah that's that's good that's a good point i love it all right ken i gotta let you go but this has been as always a fun conversation uh a, a push in a healthy way let's let's it's almost like it's like rugby we get out there and shove each other around and have a great time but we're all stronger at the end of it so um it's good yeah I like it. I love it. I appreciate your time. And I do want people to get the book. I, I, I do think it will, I think it'll raise your game to use another sporting analogy. Uh, and it'll, I think it'll also encourage you to be all that God wants you to be and designed you to be. Because if, if you didn't hear anything today, hear this one thing, God has made you for a purpose and it's not to not make any ripples in this world. So thanks, man. Did I miss anything? You want to mention anything? Is there anything about promise keepers you need to tell me or anything else that's going on? That's all good, man. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Ken Harrison on Life Today Live. Uh, hit share, hit like, hit follow, hit subscribe. Uh, definitely share this. This is, this, is, this is good. And pick up the book. You'll enjoy it. Come back again. We've got more great interviews for you right here on Life Today Live. I always appreciate you guys out there. Uh, and even if you watch this in the replay, feel free to leave some comments. I always enjoy reading those and hearing from you. See you again next time. It's the only book he ever wrote. You need to know the Word of God. You need to know what God's book says. This is God's Word, brother. It's the food. It's finished.
Scott.